Well, I'm so glad that you guys are here with us as we get into the second message in our series on prayer. We're talking about how prayer is more than a conversation. And last week, we talked about how God answers every single one of our prayers. Even if his answer isn't necessarily what we were praying for or in the timing that we hope. But God answers all of our prayers. Sometimes his answer is yes. Sometimes his answer is no. Other times his answers could be not now or not like that. But even when we do not see God's answer, Jesus tells us to keep on praying and never give up. And prayer is more than a conversation because even when we don't see the answer, it doesn't mean that the conversation is over. It might just mean that God's answer is not yet. And the good news is that God's answers are always perfect and his timing is best. And I have even more good news for us this morning. What if there was a way for us to see God answer more of our prayers with a yes? Sounds like a pretty sweet deal. And the amazing truth is that we can see God answer more of our prayers with a yes when we do things God's way. And when we align ourselves with God's way of doing things, we can become powerful prayers. If any of you here ever had an embarrassing blonde moment, or like, is it just me? And I hate to admit it, but some of my most embarrassing moments have come from trying to drive or fix my vehicle. And as somebody who wants to be a manly man, like that's hard to admit, all right? But uh, just a couple months ago, I was driving down Interstate 81, and I had just started what would be a three-hour drive, and my car engine was not sounding right at all, like more than usual. And so I'm trying to figure out what the problem is, I try my cruise control. My cruise, my cruise control, it isn't working. And so I'm trying to figure out if I should pull over and get this checked out, if I should just make the trip, but is that going to be more damage in the long run? So I call up my dad. I try to get some advice from him. And then after that conversation, I called up my mechanic buddy, Caleb Owens, and I left him a voicemail and I tried to give him a diagnosis of what I thought maybe was wrong with my car. And shortly after hanging up with him, I realized the problem. I realized that I was driving in third gear. And the, wor the worst part of this whole situation is I had to go back and tell my dad, I had to tell Caleb, nothing's wrong with my car, it's just operator error. Like... I drive an automatic car, but I just shifted a little too far, and instead of putting it in drive, I had put it in third gear. There's nothing wrong with my car, but I wasn't operating it the way that it was meant to be operated. The problem was with me. But have you ever felt like prayer just doesn't work? Does it ever seem like more often than not, God's answer is no? And last week we talked about how sometimes God's answer of no is really just because his plans and his purposes are so much better. We talked about the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
And he was praying that God would make a way so that he would not have to go to the cross and suffer. But God's answer was no. And that's because God's plans and his purposes are so much better. And so when I pray, if God's going to answer my prayer as a no, I want it to be because God's plans and his purposes are so much better. I don't want God to be saying no to my prayers because of a problem with me, because I'm not praying the way that I ought to pray. I don't want the no to come from an operator error. I want to be a powerful prayer. And I imagine that many of you want to be powerful prayers as well. And so this morning we'll be answering the question, how do we become powerful prayers? And if you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be turning to the Lord's Prayer. As you're turning there, I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Um, When I went to Bible college, I found that Bible students often like to argue with each other about like the nuances of theology or just show off their Bible knowledge. And I heard about these two students who were just going back and forth with each other. And the one guy was like, I don't even think you know what you're talking about. Like, I'll bet you 10 bucks you can't even recite the Lord's Prayer. And so his friend said, all right, I'll take that bet. And so he started reciting. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. If I should live for other ways, I pray thee, Lord, to guide my ways. His friend just stood there. He shook his head and laughed, and he reached into his pocket. I didn't think you knew it. (laughs) I'm sure that many of you have heard the Lord's Prayer before. Some of you may even have it memorized. But even if you have it up here, we need this prayer to connect with our hearts for the same reason that Jesus shared this example of prayer with his original followers. It's because so many people have a false understanding of what it looks like to be a powerful prayer. So let's look at Jesus' instructions in verse 5. Verse 5 of chapter 6, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If I was walking down the street in Jesus' day and I heard one of these hypocrites praying, I might even think, wow, now there's a powerful prayer. These guys probably showed off their Bible knowledge, used big fancy words. It'd be like, God, you know that I'm careful to observe the Sabbath, as you say in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 2, and I know that you'll bless me and water the land as you promise in Leviticus chapter 26, in the first part of verse 4. But Jesus is saying that their prayers are really not directed at God. They're just directed at the people around them who are listening. And maybe they can accomplish their goal of impressing those people who hear them, but their prayers lack power. 
Now let's look at another bad example that Jesus gives in verse 7. He says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. If I was walking down the street in Jesus' day and I heard these pagans babbling to their false gods, I probably wouldn't even think, wow, there's a powerful prayer. I might just be kind of creeped out. Like these guys are just reciting a lot of mumbo jumbo, saying the same thing over and over again, trying to get the attention of their gods. And Jesus is saying, we don't have to approach our Heavenly Father like that. Our Heavenly Father knows our needs even before we ask Him. And so putting on a show to try to get God's attention is not what makes us powerful prayers. So let's look at what it really means to be a powerful prayer. As we look at Jesus' example in verse 9, it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus begins by addressing God as our Father in heaven. And I think that how we address God can set the tone for the rest of our prayer. We can address God as somebody that we have a close relationship with. We don't have to impress God with big fancy words. We don't have to put on a show to try to get his attention. He's our heavenly father. And then Jesus says, hallowed be your name. And hallowed isn't really a word that we use much today. But it really is just a way of saying that God's name is worthy of respect and honor. And this entire part of the prayer is focused on who God is and praying for God's will to be done. Jesus prays for God's kingdom to come. And as we know from the whole of Scripture that there will be a day when God's kingdom comes to completion. And so even this request is an example of praying for God's will to be done. And this is where we get our first point. We can become powerful prayers when we pray God's will. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. And here, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's preparing them for the day when Jesus will no longer be with them in person. And in John 14, 12, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Praying in the name of Jesus unlocks God's power to do incredible things. But the question is, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? I'm sure many of you have heard people end their prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. And maybe that's how you pray as well. But is that really all there is to praying in the name of Jesus? Sometimes 
I make purchases on behalf of Bridgewater Church. And this is most convenient when I go to a store that has a Bridgewater account. I can just take my items up to the counter and say, I'm buying this for Bridgewater Church. I don't even have to swipe my card and I can leave with the items that I asked for. But what if I went up to the counter with a bunch of lottery tickets and a couple packs of smokes and I'm like, I would like to buy this on behalf of Bridgewater Church. They might not give it to me. They would probably say, we know the values of your church and what you stand for. You're probably not giving out lottery tickets and smokes to new attenders. That's not what you're about at Bridgewater. And so just saying the words, in the name of Bridgewater, isn't the ticket to get what I ask for if what I'm asking for doesn't line up with the values of the church. And likewise, just by saying the words at the end of our prayer, in Jesus' name, isn't the secret ingredient to get all that we ask for. Praying in the name of Jesus is making a request on behalf of Jesus and asking for the things that Jesus would want. And when we do this, the result is mind-blowing. Jesus says that anyone who believes in him will do greater works than he did during his earthly ministry. I don't know about you, but this is one of those verses where after reading it the first time, I have to go back and read it again because I think I missed something. Did Jesus really just say that we could do greater works than he did during his time on earth? I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. He healed the sick and even raised the dead to life. And Jesus really did say that we could do greater works than him. But he was not implying that our works would be more impressive. So if you haven't raised anybody from the dead lately, you're probably still on the right track. Jesus is saying that the extent of our ministry will be greater. For example, after Jesus returned to heaven, one of his disciples, Peter, gave a sermon. And from that sermon, 3,000 people made decisions to follow Jesus. And even as the modern day church, we are continuing that work of making more and better disciples for Jesus. And this is the kind of stuff that Jesus wants us to pray about. Jesus said that whatever we ask in his name, it will be done. And Jesus has unlimited credit. There's no such thing as asking too much from Jesus. It's all about asking for the things that are in line with God's will. For friends and family members who don't have a relationship with him, to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and to experience salvation that comes through Jesus. For us to pray that the gospel would spread around the world and reach people who have never heard the name of Jesus. It's to pray for us to be a light for Jesus in our community, for our church to grow in love and unity. And we can become powerful prayers when we pray for the things that are close to God's heart, when we make God's desires our desires, and when we submit ourselves to God's agenda. And I believe that when we do those things, we will see more of our prayers being answered with a yes. However, this is not just the only step towards becoming powerful prayers. And we cannot compartmentalize how we pray 
and how we live because these two aspects of our lives are deeply connected. And this is highlighted in the last half of the Lord's Prayer. And so if you would turn with me back to where we were in Matthew chapter 6, we'll read the last part of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. It says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What we call the Lord's Prayer might be better fitting to be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because we know that Jesus was perfect and blameless in every way. He never sinned, and he never had to ask for forgiveness. But he gives this prayer to us as an example of how we ought to pray. And we sure do need God's forgiveness. Here's a question for you. Is it a comfort or a concern to know that God forgives you the way that you forgive others? Is there someone in your life that you are unwilling to forgive? Being a powerful prayer is about having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. And we can't have a right relationship with God if we don't have a right relationship with others. It's like mistreating somebody's kid and then asking their parents for a favor. Good luck with that. Sometimes, I think maybe God answers our prayers with a no because of a problem within us. But we can turn that around. And that doesn't have to be the case because we can become powerful prayers when we obey God's will. I think oftentimes we think of prayer as just something that we have to do to be obedient to God. But it's not just a one-way street. Actually, our obedience to God affects the outcome of our prayers. And this isn't just related to forgiveness. Turn with me to James chapter 5. We're going to look at the last part of verse 16. It says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and guess that when I read that verse, some of you identify with the righteous person. You think, sweet, my prayers are powerful and effective. Some of you, you might not think of yourself as a righteous person. Maybe you think of righteousness as like some kind of lofty and unobtainable goal. But righteousness is just the result of daily living in obedience to God's will. And the big picture of God's will is for us to love God and love others. And this is played out in all the hundreds of daily decisions that we make. Our love for God is played out in how we use our time, how we spend our money, what we do for entertainment. And our love for others is played out if we're forgiving or if, if we can show kindness to the people who are difficult to love. Our love for others is played out in putting the needs of others above our own. And you don't have to be some kind of super Christian to be a powerful prayer. You just need to obey God's will. 
And this is what it goes on to say in verse 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. God worked some pretty mind-blowing miracles through the prophet Elijah. Like, this man raised the dead to life. He even called down fire from heaven, and he prayed that God would hold back the rain for three and a half years, and God answered his request. And it's not because Elijah just had like some direct line with God or if he had some kind of superpowers. Elijah simply obeyed God's will. He was a righteous person, and he prayed God's will, and his prayers were powerful and effective. I believe that each of us has a step that we can take to become a powerful prayer. And my challenge for each of us is to pray for God's will to be done. Maybe you can think of someone in your life who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. My challenge for you is to pray for them, that they would see that Jesus is the way to salvation, and just pray for them every day for one week. For some of you, Maybe you're not living in obedience to God's will. Maybe there's someone in your life that you're just unwilling to forgive. Or maybe you need to show kindness to someone who's difficult to love. Maybe there's a tension in your marriage. And you can be a powerful prayer when you pray God's will and when you obey God's will. And I believe that when we do that, that God will show up in incredible ways and that God can be powerful to answer prayer. Right now, we're going to play a video that's just a testimony from a family in Montrose about God showing up in their life in incredible ways and it just gives you a window into the power of prayer. Please watch So January 3rd, 2021 started off as basically a normal Sunday. I was kind of winding down the day, getting the kids ready for bed, and uh, and that's when I heard my wife from the bathroom say, Brian, my water just broke. She was 38 weeks pregnant, so we knew you know it could be at any point in time. And so we took off down the interstate towards Wilkes-Barre to the hospital. At that point in time, that was my biggest concern was whether or not we'd make it to the hospital. So once we got to the hospital, um, Brian and I had been discussing baby names like <laughs> all night long. And at that point, like he's like, I really need to take a shower. So um, I was like, all right, you go take a shower, but don't forget to think about baby names. <laughs> so he's like, I will. As I was coming out, I heard the voices in the room kind of change. And uh, they, ch they changed tones to where I could tell like something's going on that's not quite right. Finally, the doctor came in and she said, the baby's heart rate is dropped, we need to do an emergency C-section. And I said, okay, you know, whatever you need to do. And they took her, they wheeled her into the operating room. And uh, of course, at that point in time, I had to stay in the room. It was a few minutes later and I heard on, you know, the hospital loudspeaker, they started shouting out, code blue, code blue. And, um, and then it was just like a rush of nurses and doctors going in. And I didn't really find out anything for probably about 45 minutes before Lainey's doctor had come in to give me the report to say that Lainey was okay. The surgery went well and they got the baby out. And um, 
I remember asking, I said, I heard a baby crying um, shortly after you took her into the operating room. Was that my son? And uh, she said to me, no, um, your son didn't make any noise. His body was very limp. That's all she could tell me. The nurse came in and said, your wife's coming out. You can meet her in the hallway and go towards the, the recovery room. And uh, this doctor came to give a report. He said, your son um, was born without a heartbeat and he wasn't breathing. And he and the other neonatologist had worked for over 15 minutes to be able to resuscitate him. And, um, and at that point, there was this mix of emotion of on one hand thinking like relief that my son was alive at that point and and on the other hand recognizing that this was still a very critical situation he told me that he's he needs to be life flighted to Danville Children's Hospital and then he went into they have to put him on this special treatment to preserve his brain it won't reverse brain damage but it will prevent further brain damage from happening the first thing i remember hearing was ma'am your son is alive I didn't know, you know, really what that meant. And so um, my first question was, is he going to live? And Brian said, we don't know. So at that point, I felt like this intense feeling of like just wanting to panic. But at the same time, I felt like the Lord just gave me such a, a calmness and a, a strength in that moment. Just his presence was so near. You know, we went to the recovery room and... You know, we waited to find out more. They said that, that they were going to bring Silas to us so that we could uh, we could see him before he took off in the helicopter. They finally brought him in in this little box uh, with all kinds of tubes and cords and stuff attached to him. And, you know, I was so grateful to see him at that point. Um, we saw him for about 30 seconds before they just said, we need to go now. Um, like, we got we to gotta get him to, that, to his care in Danville. They came and they, uh, they, they got Lainey ready and she went in the ambulance. And then uh, I followed behind in our car. I, I guess I can easily pray kind of more reserved or, or almost giving God a way out. Like, God, if it's your will, would you do this or that? Or God, um, you know what's best and I trust you, but if you, if this is what I want, please do this, you know? But, but in that moment, um, in that drive, my prayers were different. It was maybe even came across as demanding, um, but it was like God wanted me to pray that way, where it was like, God, you need to save my son. You need to heal him. You need to make sure that he stays alive. And um, just praying in a way that was bolder than I think I'd ever prayed before. It was from this point of just complete surrender, um, saying, God, you can do something. I can't, so do something. We had reached out to, to just ask people to pray for us. And then the texts and, and stuff started coming in, just people telling us, hey, we're praying for you. And uh, it really did make a difference, I think, for us. And just knowing that we weren't alone in this, um, like God was there, but also man, there was there was an army of people behind us that were, uh, that were praying for us and for our situation and for our little boy. I felt like with so many people praying for us that I felt like there was like two teams. I felt like there was the doctor team and the nurses team that was working on Silas and I felt like there was a prayer team that was praying for Silas and I felt like they were both working together for this little baby. 
So when I got to Danville, I was um, checked into my room, and they told us that we could go see Silas. Um, he was on like full support oxygen, but even at that point, um, it wasn't enough, and his oxygen levels weren't where they needed to be. And um, the doctor was explaining to me that you know his kidneys weren't working, his his liver wasn't working correctly. There was all these organs that like weren't working because it just they just couldn't get enough oxygen. And I remember looking up at the monitor and seeing like yeah, it's not enough. It should be at like 99 or 100, and it was at like 79. People asked, how can we pray? I said, just pray that his oxygen levels would increase. That night, we prayed. We were texting people just to let them know, you know. And uh, the next morning, uh, it was pretty early in the morning that we went and uh, went to go see him. And uh, I was able to go look and see the monitor and see the oxygen level that we had prayed for and to see it up at like 100%. And um, to visually see an answered prayer right before my eyes, it was like every time we showed up at the NICU, something had improved, or or they had weaned him more off something. You know, it was just like it was incredible to have a front row view of of answered prayers, um, knowing that there was man, thousands of people praying for him, thousands of people. So after seven days, they did an MRI and um, it came back completely normal. They were shocked that there was nothing that they could see. At first, I mean, I don't know that we knew how to process that information, um, but we got up and we just started hugging them and celebrating and, the, you know, like, um, they just kept saying, it's a miracle. And uh, like, yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> and uh, for everything that he went through, you know, those like 15, 16 minutes without oxygen, and uh, for him to come out with his brain clear and this little healthy boy is just like, uh, you can't, we can't put words to it. It's, it. it's God answering prayer after prayer and doing miracle after miracle. In previous trials, I haven't um, experienced God's presence so closely to me because I have resisted him or um, been even angry sometimes feeling that he's maybe apathetic or um, just didn't care about me as much. The Lord has been taking me on a journey of teaching me just how much He loves me and cares for me. And so when this happened, I just completely leaned into Him and believed that He was good, no matter the outcome, that He was gonna be good. And um, that was just such a huge encouragement to me and it helped me um, get through those days. Well, the reality is that, you know, not all stories have a happy ending. I guess the choice is to lean into his presence, um, to continue to pray, to continue to just trust him, knowing that the outcome may or may not be the way that we want it to be. But yet at the end of the day, he's faithful and he is good. We know that from the word of God and, and you look at the examples in scripture that not all their stories turned out great. And yet God was faithful through it all and God was good through it all. I hope that was just an encouraging reminder that prayer does work. When we pray, we give God the opportunity to do incredible things. And just by another way of application from what we just heard is we have a sign-up out in the lobby for what we're calling Day of Prayer. And that means next Sunday, we're going to block out the times from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. And we just want to be a church that prays. And so you can sign up for just 
15 minute increments and you can sign up for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, as many as you would like. And we just want to spend that day uh, praying to God and seeing him show up in incredible ways. And so uh, before we head out, let me just pray and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can talk to you. I thank you that we can talk to you just like anyone that we have a close relationship with. And actually, you have a closer relationship with us or a deeper love for us than anybody else. And I'm so thankful that we don't have to try to impress you. We don't have to try to get your attention. And I thank you that you are a loving God and that when we call out to you in prayer, um, that you use it to grow us in our dependence on you. Uh, that is a journey of faith that um, you bring us on. And I'm so thankful for how you can use even the tough times in our life to grow us. And I'm so thankful for just the testimony video that we just watched of seeing you show up in incredible ways. And I ask that we would be a church that prays, and I ask that we would see that true in our personal lives, that we would be people who pray your will and obey your will. And I pray that you would give us the strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.